here um, in partnership, uh, both as a friend and as a as the founder and executive director for Juti Naiko, um, with my dear friend um, Eddie Chavez Calderon from Uri Litzedek. Um and so this is a con this is a it's a webinar, but it's really more of a conversation that we want to um, kind of like switch the ways in which we're thinking about learning power dynamics. Um, and before I go into the next thing, I would love to also let my my colleague and friend. Um, Kimberly Duenas to introduce herself as well. Hola everyone, so nice to see you. Thank you for being here, Kimberly Duenas, and I'm the community coordinator for Juti Naiko. So happy to be here and uh, to be part of this incredible opportunity to really talk about what we can do as a Jewish Latino community to combat racism in our community and the world. Awesome. Thank you, everybody, for joining. Uh, again, uh, I'm so blessed to be uh, here and share space with such amazing people today to have real tough dialogue. My name is Eddie Chavez Calderon, and this is our anti-racism webinar uh, and our part of our series of, of speakers and, and dialogues that we've been having for months now uh, in response to the rise in, in racism. Um, and how do we combat it? How do we become best allies? How do we have true dialogue within our own selves and, um, and really address our own biases and, so that we can uh, internally grow and become a better ally to our community? So I'm incredibly proud to be able to have uh, both uh, my personal Havruta and, and, a, and a mentor that has been really helping me out um, right now as, as, a, as a person, as a, as a spiritual um, in my spiritual growth as, as a leader, I've really, really um, admire Ana Lucia and her work at uh, Jutina and Co. as well as with uh, Kimberly, who made us cry with her, her parents' story um, and how they found out their Jewish lineage. Uh, I was uh, on a Zoom call with her sharing her Hala experience and um, holding back tears as, as I was just in my heart was glowing in awe. So we're, we're incredibly blessed to be here and we want to make sure that this webinar is not just um, not just like a lecture, but a conversation. We encourage folks to share feelings, thoughts and emotions. Give pushback when you feel pushback, uh, step in and step out. Uh, meaning if, if, if you want to really share, go ahead and share, but we wanna also make sure that other folks have the ability to share this conversation. Uh, so with that uh, being said, let's go ahead and jump right into it, Ana Lucia, because I know we have such great things to have conversations about today. Thank you, Eddie. Um, and so just to kind of reiterate that, like, I, I really want us to, to model and to reimagine what it likes to be in learning spaces. Um, and just to put some framing, this, this webinar is called Let's Talk Hablemos, um, and specifically focusing on um, how the Jewish Latinx community, ways in which to address, confront, and interrupt um, racial oppression within our own space. Uh, and so I say this because I think it's important to recognize that within this group, this, this is many, I don't know everyone's history in this group, um, but I'm going to imagine that not everyone falls within an identity of Jewish and Latino. Um, and I say this, it's important to note that this conversation would look very differently if everyone kind of fell within that space with regards to um, being able to dig deeper into various levels of like internalized racism that our com beloved community upholds. Um, but at the same time, I think it's a really special way in which for different communities to look at some of the work that a non-Black community um, 
community that's, I would say a community of color, but really the Latino community is so multiracial and it's so multi-ethnic and multicultural that it goes beyond being a community of color. And it's just this umbrella community um, that has uh, on, on one end, um, one of the most incredible communities and, and cultures that I feel so proud to be a part of, and also has continuously struggled with um, upholding various systems of oppression, specifically targeting indigenous and black folks within our space. So I named that as an opportunity to just kind of um, notice like what's happening in the room and in this space. And of course, even if you don't fall within that um, intersection of Jewish Latino identity, there's, uh, there's moments to really like step in um, and, and really, um, marinate with some of the questions that are being posed and being able to do a lot of like personal reflection and whether it's happening on this call or it's happening outside of this call because the work is meant to continue okay um another thing that i want to to know and to just kind of like say is that um right now we are experiencing a rightful uprising for the systemic oppression that's being um, experienced on a daily basis, specifically targeting our Black brothers and sisters all throughout the world, and in this moment specifically in the United States. And while there is a, an important um, desire for us to move, that we also must note how certain points of urgency sometimes lead us to um, uphold certain systems of oppression, specifically around white supremacy. So I say this again, as just like a note with regards to whatever you take from this call and deciding like, what are your next steps? Taking note that urgency um, is something that's being imposed upon you by an outside force and the changes that need to be made need to be long-term and sometimes urgency makes it seem like it's happening, but it's, it, it gets cut off. So um, those are all important things to just kind of get in this space. Uh, I also want to invite people who have their cameras off to, to turn them on, um, just so that it's, we're able to kind of be in, in community and see each other's faces. Of course, I understand people have their own needs, um, but I appreciate those that, that do. Hey, amazing. Woohoo, that was a win. All right, so I'm just going to go ahead and, and just kind of model this or start this conversation um, by saying that there's a lot of work that within um, Judy Naiko, uh, just to kind of let you know if you've never heard about our organization, we are an anti-racist grassroots organization that is on a mission to really support the uh, the Jewish and Latino identity development of people within the Jewish and Latinx community um, to do so in a way that celebrates our community's multicultural, multi-ethnic, and multiracial experience. And that's from a, and, and I say that that mission is a very romantic mission. This is like my desire, my vision for seeing a place in which we're able to really grapple uh, with all of these things that make us ourselves while doing this like anti-racist work. And when it really comes to like the nitty gritty, like one cannot exist without the other. And I think that the first way in which we're able to really get into this space of like celebrating uh, multiculturalism, uh, we must be able to also, that needs to be in line with naming anti-Black racism. And the first way in which any of this begins is really recognizing like where it is that our community, and I'm speaking specifically of the intersection of Jewish and Latino community, has been uh, complicit in anti-Black racism. And specifically within the, the Latinx context, um, I think it's important to note that white supremacy has been something that's upheld Latinx culture for so long, at least structures in which it's, it's been able to survive. So um, 
whoever's familiar with uh, Latino America's colonial past, like they recognize that there were certain systems in place when the new world was being established that allowed for certain communities to ascend to positions of power and for certain communities to support the, uh, the, the people that were in these positions of power. So again, that caste system was something that largely outlined and defined the skeletal being of Latinx culture, Latinx, um, Latin American identity. So this is something that I, I want us to begin with, with exploring. And I really want to invite ways um, in which we're able to, to just kind of like recognize and think, okay, within the particular space and communities that we're a part of, like where is our community specifically complicit? So again, going back to Latin America, some very like concrete ways in which this was happening were ways of mixing um, and blending certain communities that we thought were going to like whiten the race um, and also keeping some communities that were that were essentially being othered as the other away from everything else. And this is a true reality. So the mestizaje, for example, like nowadays we see it, uh, mestizaje essentially means mixing um, of both indigenous and, and, the, and the white colonial communities. Um, and, and now it's kind of become this like term of like, who the Latinos, Latin American people are, the Latinx people are, are mestizos, but the actual original roots of the mestizaje were a strict means of white, of essentially whitening and unindigenizing the Latin American community. And this is something that has been so central to so much of Latin America's identity. Um, and most recently, I think one of the ways in which has been a reckoning for myself to recognize our own community's complicity in this um, was in the Dominican Republic. Um, in the early 20th century, the Dominican Republic was lauded as being the only country um, as World War II was really kind of picking up to award, to say that Jews could come and live for free, like just, you know, come without any strings attached to the Dominican Republic. And that the um, Generalissimo, which was the name of the, of the president, the, his title, Generalissimo um, Trujillo, was, was um, from this point of, you know, complete altruism, offering up to 100,000 visas from people from Europe to come to the Dominican Republic and, um, and essentially like escape and find a new home. The sad reality of, of that, and this has been, you know, part of my continuous process around our community's complicity, um, complicitness around this is that right before that even happened, there was a genocide towards um, the black Dominicans of Haitian descent that existed on the side of the Dominican Republic. And while that genocide took place, the benefit what came for the, the white Europeans who became over time, you know, Dominican. Um, and they, as a result, like benefited from this like anti-black sentiment of the country and from the country's desire to bring in more white folks so that they can really balance and create a more white community. So I named this because this is without a doubt like something that people can say, well, you know, we didn't know that this was happening or, you know, this is the, the ugly side of history. And this wasn't like in any point, in any way, um, the rest of the Dominican community's desire or the Jewish community's desire. But at the same time, we still benefited from it. And as a result, we were complicit in certain regards. And the reason why I bring this up is just to kind of 
bring into case in point, like what does it take for us to have like a, um, a deep analysis of things that have happened in our community, um, communities that we love that have been explicitly at the cost of suppressing others while elevating a certain culture that's still being deemed as the highest of um, importance or the most, the one that deserves to be saved, um, the one that deserves to be protected. So I'm going to put a pause on that. And I'm curious to hear just from people within in this call who have had some time over the last month and a half to their entire life to think specifically about um, not just how like racism shows, but specifically how like anti-Black racism is showing up within our community. Um, and I'll even add like anti-Indigenous racism shows up within our community because those two are often like tied hand in hand um, and are important to, to, to really explore and, um, as we move towards liberation of all folks. So um, I'm curious, just from folks who are on the call, what are some things that come up with what I, what, um, what I just said? I can share for me, um, you know, I've been in this space for some time now, but I, I hadn't ever sat in such a uh, intentional way to really look at how as a Jewish Latina, um, how I may have been complicit in perpetuating um, prejudice or racist narratives. And um, it's been, it's been really, whew, that awareness has been quite heavy, but so, so important. And um, I'm, I'm both Salvadorian and my, my mother's family has roots in Eastern Europe. So I've carried both of these identities and there's been such a value placed on, on whiteness. Um, in, in my upbringing, I grew up in um, Orange County, California, which is predominantly white and very, very beautiful and wonderful. But as a, as a woman who did not look like my other classmates as, as, and as a girl, it was really very confusing for me. So I saw how I denied myself um, my connection to my, my Latin roots because I, I existed in a world where it was more valuable to be white and to blend in. Um, and that was my reality so much so that I dissociated from my Salvadorian roots and my, my Latinidad for most of my life, I stopped learning Spanish. I wouldn't talk about my family. I held shame around my Latina identity. And when I look back on that now, I, I mean, I feel sad. I'm very much connected. I go to El Salvador. Um, I'm part of Jutina Eco because I'm personally on a mission to reclaim that and have pride around that. But in my reflection in the last month, I've, I've seen how my choice to value whiteness in that way indirectly perpetuated um, narratives against Latinidad and against the black community because there, it was just this very simple but unconscious thought of that's not good, white is good. And so that's something that I've been sitting with and um, that's just you know one of the ways that's kind of shown up for me but it's, it's an example of how this can be so, so unconscious and so um, trained in our brains. And this is what this time is about, is about looking at where we might have uh, had those messages and how can we do the unlearning? Yeah, most definitely. Um, I think that my, my spiritual path and having the honor of, of really walking in my spirituality with Rabbi Shmuley, uh, who who's joining us today and understanding the complexity and the history within Jews in Mexico 
and I've, I've really been diving into understanding how that, that complexity has been working out. And uh, overwhelmingly, I've seen, and I've seen this message uh, from the Shimot that I know a lot of people remember, which is you should not oppress a stranger for you know the feeling of being a stranger, having yourself being strangers in the land of Egypt. This to me shows a complexity in how we approach racism, even coming in from uh, almost being um, folks who, who partake in two cultures of oppression uh, from, from the Latino America side and seeing that um, how folks were colonialized, as well as from the Jewish side, seeing how uh, folks still face anti-Semitism. But then we contextualize that and, and, and address how do, we are, how do we address our own implicit biases and our own implicit prejudices. Uh, and, and specifically in, in Mexico, um, I, I remember very clearly folks would say, um, estás muy moreno, which would mean that you are too black. And um, it, was a, it was a shame to really address, and it was an a, a uncomfortable conversation even breaking down today with my, own, uh, my, with my mother. And, and I've, I've been seeing that a lot of that has been, been tying into the unknown and the uneducation of, of folks who, who really don't want to dive into those conversations because they don't know how to. They don't know how to have uh, those, those deep, uh, uncomfortable conversations. So uh, I've, I've really been uh, feeling this uh, lately a lot uh, in, in the own Latino community, especially um, with, with folks who I surround myself that are, are I've been blessed to to have conversations uh, who are Latino Jews is how do we approach this coming in from, um, from, from a place where we feel that we have uh, so much diversity, we wear so many hats. Uh, so it's an interesting conversation that we're having today. I wanna open it up for somebody else to also share. Okay. I'm going to move on to the next one. I definitely am hoping for, um, for folks to, to um, feel called to, um, to engage in the space so that we can also kind of hear like where this process, where people's process comes in. So the next thing I, I also, um, I think recognizing like where our community has been complicit is really like the start of thinking about like anti-Black, um, anti-racist work, like anti-racist work in general, but specifically like how anti-Blackness um, is, the perpetual means of racialization in general, how we've kind of created this like this good and this bad almost like spectrum and, and whiteness being like at the top of it and blackness being at, at the bottom. And so all the other different shades and colors that go in between those two are also being relegated towards either the top or towards the bottom. And as a result, like the type of uh, climbing, like ladder climbing that sometimes tries to happen within communities and how that oftentimes pins different communities of color against one another to continue suppressing somebody else at the bottom, knowing that there's this top piece that they're never going to be a part of. So I recognize, I want us to, to kind of be aware and just kind of have this visual model of the way in which racism works um, and how there is, it's, it's essentially placed to have people that are outside of that white spectrum, um, essentially um, killing themselves, like to, for lack of a better word, to just continue to uh, put each other down and and suppress one another to do their work. Um, but the the next piece that I think is also after kind of gaining that big recognition that we're part of this like larger ecosystem that really elevates whiteness and um, and that we are 
are um, complicit in supporting it is recognizing something that's even harder, which is our own complicity. It's a lot easier, I think, to kind of see the system as being messed up and being like, yes, systemic oppression is bad and this is how it shows up. It's a little bit more difficult to kind of place yourself and your own complicity and the ways in which you uphold systems of oppression. So I kind of want this next section to just be a little bit of an analysis um, and a moment to, I'm going to ask some questions and I want folks to think about those. And then I want folks to step in um, and share just some analysis and some, um, some of the reflection that took place in their mind. So again, like when we're talking about our, when we're thinking about our own complicity and when, when we're examining our own complicity, um, this can be, this is something that, um, requires us to look back and 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 um, kind of like bring to the forefront either memories that are trying to be trying to be pushed back or things um, that we don't want to admit to. But I say that it's important to have this be a part of our dialogue because pretending it's not there um, essentially is being complicit of the ways in which systems and failure to interrupt things in the past um, and not learning how to do that is going to prevent us from being able to move forward in this space of recognizing and interrupting um, complicity in, around anti-blackness. So specifically, I want folks to think about the first time in which they were um, the place and the time and the feelings um, that they were experiencing the first time that they were made aware that there was specific, dis that there was a difference between who they were and black folks. And, and when I say, and I'm going to say, I, I don't want to say the other, I want to specifically focus it on the black community, because I think sometimes when we think about othering, we fail to see just how, how explicit and damaging it is um, experienced through, for like, the, for the black community. Um, and so specifically thinking about the first time in which that was introduced, um, specifically, specifically thinking about the way in which you know and connect to Black culture. Um, what is your outlet that you have to Black culture? What is the way in which you're connecting to it? What is the history you know about, um, like, what is the Black history you know? Okay, so think about those two different things. Um, I also want folks to start thinking a little bit about certain anti-Black sentiment that came up in their lives as jokes. So this could be things that you overheard um, at family gatherings, things that you saw on TV, things that you saw in a movie, things that came up um, in family that was then, you know, not, you know, immediately um, corrected by saying, well, I didn't mean it that way, or I'm just kidding around. So again, just kind of thinking about how anti-Blackness has showed up. I also want folks to think about the times in which we heard people close to us say, make specifically like anti-Black comments or even more of expensive like xenophobic comments specifically because, uh, or, and, and in your interpretation of what they were saying, your immediate response being, well, they grew up in a different time. So, you know, they say these kind of things back then. And so as a result, just kind of excusing that behavior and letting it slide. I want people to think a little bit about the times in which you said or heard other people say something to the lines of, I'm not racist, but I prefer to date, employ, work, be friends with lighter skinned folks. Okay. And these are like things that I hear all the time and, um, and have, and probably will continue to. 
I also want people to think a little bit about the time in which um, if they were in the romantic relationship with someone, other messages that they heard from other people around um, more support towards them dating lighter skinned folks over darker skinned folks. So a lot of these questions are specifically posed within the Jewish Latinx context, but of course some of these things certainly come outside of that and can be um, taken to the larger Jewish community. But I'm so curious, just based on some of those like prompts that I just put out, what were some immediate, what were some, some thoughts, some realizations, um, some points of struggle that, that came for, for folks? I'll go ahead and start um, and then uh, encourage everybody else, please. Um, I think for, personally for me, I, I've definitely seen where, um, you, uh, and I'll see, I, I want to echo that, where because of age, we have been um, dismissing specific comments. Um, I remember um, how much my mom has told me that she suffered because my father um, is Afro-Caribbean. Um, Afro-Caribbean and in Mexico and and my 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 father has a very um, is a very dark-skinned man with with curly hair uh, and he's black as um, as in, any of, of of our other black friends and growing up even to this day my uncles would still say something that is really racist really really racist like they would uh, tell me they would say hey it's a good thing that you got your mom's side <laughs> and I would I would never understand how to how to have that conversation and how inappropriate and hurtful that was to me. Um, how hurtful it was that they would tell me that I should always keep my hair from growing out because it's going to get curly. And and how do we have these conversations uh, with folks when you when you come from a place of hurt when you when you come from a place of understanding that those comments really hurt you. But then as well, when you see other folks who just dismiss it because they're like, oh, they come from a, a, an, another time, another time where that wasn't addressed. Like, it, it's okay because it, it's when, when their time, it was okay, right? And, and that to me really, it, it really bothers me and, and how do we address that? But I also see it that like it, it comes in through our generations and I see that uh, the children are watching that when children see that happening, that they soak that in and that they see that maybe that's okay. Maybe I can do it, right? Maybe I, I should be lighter skinned. Maybe I should have straight hair. Um, and it's, it's so tough to, to address these conversations and, and have them. So I really resonated with that um, comment that you said, Anuncia. So yeah, please everybody share. Hi, I didn't want to take up space. I don't come from a Latinx background, though there are a lot of intersections. My mother's brother leaving Poland to go to Mexico and where my cousins are. Um, when my husband and I adopted our first child, we he was born in the Dominican Republic. Let me tell you, there's nothing more white supremacist than adoption. You've got a whole world that has been made inequitable because of, of a capitalist system. 
and then you can take your white privilege and go and get your baby. Um, was I thinking that way when we adopted? No, but it's something I've come to, to truly understand. Um, so um, I have, I'm very old, so I have memories going back as a child, being first aware of racial difference when the woman who was our cleaning lady, that's what she was called, Mrs. Dunn, um, when I was sitting at lunch with her, I came home from school, I was, a, I don't know, nine years old, and I was, we were sitting at the table together, and I was just very aware that she was different from me, and that I was acting silly. I was a pretty quiet child, but I, I knew my behavior was different to somehow make it comfortable for myself. And then I can skip ahead many years. I'm in high school and Martin Luther King has been assassinated. And my aunt and uncle are visiting from Detroit and my aunt sits at the table and says, good riddance. I didn't say anything. There have been any number of times in my life, looking back then, I could have said something and I didn't. Thank you for sharing. Thank you, Linda. I can share two examples from my life. When I was in elementary school, I was at a friend's house and he was telling his mother this joke about God uh, creating people. And the joke was that he, he puts people in the oven and he bakes them just to the right temperature and they come out. And, and then the joke was that uh, he waited too long on one for some, some people and, and, and said, oh, I burnt another one. His mother thought that was hilarious. I remember that. <laughs> just thinking about that, uh, you know, thinking back on that, I'm just, it's appalling. And also, uh, thinking back on where we lived at uh, one time in my family, we lived in a neighborhood, a very nice neighborhood in, in Westchester County, and all of a sudden it came to light that the bylaws of this neighborhood required that any, any people of color or Black people could only be in the neighborhood if they were domestics or service people, that they weren't allowed to live in the neighborhood. And I remember my sisters and I were just appalled that we actually were living in this kind of a neighborhood. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for sharing. Um, I wanted to kind of um, mention a few experiences. Um, just like Eddie, I think I experienced it a lot of, um, with, um, well, my first introduction to, uh, black people was my best friend Cedric when I was four. <laughs> so I grew up in a very diverse, um, community. I grew up in in the Central Valley of California. Uh, so Fresno, Madera, um, I don't know if anybody's familiar with that area, but it is very, very, um, uh, it's a very big Latin community. It's migrant, it's mostly migrant workers that kind of follow the, the, um, the crop throughout central California. And um, so it was rural and um, most of my introduction, there were very little um, 
white people, but um, you still really felt the pressure of, of trying to, you know, uh, assimilate and um, fit in. I could remember very young, my mom was very, very fair skinned. And um, my mom, you know, saying, you know, you got to stay out of the sun and you got to take, you know, you always trying to give me tips to not get darker. Or if I got a little too much sun in the summer, she was always very clear to tell me, you know, you need to put more sunblock on or you're, you know, you need, you need to uh, take, take care of yourself. Um, and, but there was that um, insensitivity to people, to black people. I had lots of friends growing up and that was always a little difficult for my mom. Um, what's interesting now in today's landscape is her and I have had these very deep discussions now, you know, what kind of influence um, did that put on my psyche uh, growing up and um, becoming an adult myself? And um, there's been a lot of reflection, which I feel in the last few months have really come out. You know, when she was younger, she wasn't allowed to speak Spanish. so we didn't speak Spanish in the home. I'm not a very fluent speaking Spanish speaker. And, um, you know, now that I live um, in the heart of Scottsdale and have been for 27 years, uh, both my kids identify as Jews. They go to Jewish youth group, both bat mitzvah. And um, it's very, uh, it's very difficult because now as an adult, I worry that my children have no connection to their Latin roots because they self-identify as, you know, in their community. However, my daughter is very, is darker than myself and my son. And um, I think she's having some difficulties, you know, going, in this, going to a school, a private school in the heart of Paradise Valley, and she's the only person of color in her class. Um, so I, it, and, and you put that in the landscape that we're in today and um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things um, that we're discussing and, and talking about that I probably wasn't um, prepared to start talking to my kids um, about now. So I don't know if that really, but that's a little bit of a, the experience that I have. I'm trying to um, get a connection with my kids um, because it's really hard to have that or see themselves outside of being Latin. Thank you. Something that was just brought up and I think is, um, it's gonna lead into the next the next um, point, but just kind of want to make sure that I close that piece is it's interesting within the Jewish Latinx community, it's already so diverse. And I, I want to name that, okay, because to carry the identity of being Jewish and Latina, Latino, Latinx, um, there has been this erroneous assumption that if you carry those two identities, it's because 
you must have uh, you must be coming from a family that has um, that survived um, various pogroms either at the end of the 19th century or um, survived uh, World War II um, and made their way to Latin America and as a result like if you were Jewish and Latino that must mean that your whole ancestry must be from this uh, European descending background. And while certainly that is like a narrative that is true for a lot of folks, it's so far from being even remotely true as the whole, or as even being close to what's actually the truth. Um, aside from us being a, within the, if the Jewish um, Latino context, um, being, there's so many different communities that consist of, of um, whether you're Ashkenazi, whether you're Sephardi, outside of those more traditional ways of being Jewish and, and, and Latino, Latinx, um, there's more complexities. And that's the fact that a lot of members of our community are actually multiracial, meaning that they're coming from communities where one parent um, grew up their entire life as Jewish and maybe come from a community of color, but maybe not come, maybe come from like a white Ashkenazi community and another parent who comes from either from um, the Latino community, not as a convert or returner to Judaism, but rather, but someone who's just in this like multi-faith, multi-racial, um, multi-ethnic community. Um, there's also folks who had folks, um, a parent who potentially converted, and there's folks who come from families um, that didn't didn't remain together and as a result like maybe they've been carrying an identity that is as far from the identity that their parents have and the way in which they were raised and as a result they're kind of left to to kind of figure out a lot of things out by themselves and the reason why i'm bringing this up is that i have found that oftentimes in jewish context when it comes to the jewish community we sometimes want to put it all aside to kind of create this den a common denominator which is judaism and the fact that we're all jewish and and um and th that if you're in that space you're jewish um and while i th i think that there is a degree of like nobleness and um to that it really fails to see um, just how complex and how diverse our community actually is and how not all people are going to experience Judaism and life outside of a Jewish space the same way. And so by us putting on these like blinders of like, well, at the end of the day, you know, we're all Jewish or as a result of our desire to be within this common denominator, we're going to not look, we're not going to focus any type of identity development on this other element of our family self. We're we're setting ourselves up to, to, we're distancing ourselves up from things that are, that also define who we are, things that are valuable, things that also inform and enrich what we can bring into Jewish spaces. Um, and as a result, also leave us without an ability to really locate ourselves within different points of struggle that's happening outside of this space, especially when we know we don't live in a colorblind world and where while Judaism is something that binds a lot of uh, the folks who want to be in the community together, it's not, it, it shouldn't be the only thing that um, makes the community want to explore like it's, it's rich identity. And so a big question is like, what are we doing to really empower people to move away from this like monolithic, this just kind of homogenous identity to being one that is really encouraging and elevating people to elevating stories and, and, and really um, pushing folks to, to discover like what makes them who they are outside of this space or whatever we've deemed as being what Judaism looks like and what it should look like. 
Um, so that's something that's become like really inherently important in our work that we do within the Jewish Latino space, because it's truly important if we want to create a space that is anti-racist, that is inclusive of our multi-ethnic and multi-racial diversity, like what, what does that mean? How do we model that? How do we also um, support people to go beyond um, wanting to elevate the Jewish part of their Jewish Latinx identity? Like what does it take for it to be more even and for them to spend some more time uh, sitting in a space that has felt like they, that was kind of hands off if they really wanted to be in a Jewish space. So I named that because it's a lot of things that a lot of communities are continuously battling in order to feel as if they can fully fit into a Jewish space. Um, I, that was like a little bit of like two point, uh, like two and a half of where I was going with the next point. So if that, if what I just said right now brings out some other thoughts, I'm curious, I want, I want to leave some space for people to, to share. Okay. One of the things that I think about um, as being both a Jutina, Jewish Latina, and being in the Jewish education space, um, you know, there's a, when you teach in a synagogue setting or you're teaching a group of Jewish students, there is a section about global Jewry and the different streams of Judaism and where Jewish communities may exist around the world. But there isn't a, I, I wish, and a, maybe this is the turning point in our, in our education system and in our communities where we can really highlight and focus um, on going deeper about the, the rich history and the diversity and the multi-ethnic nature um, of our community because it feels very glossed over or it's kind of like the statement of like, yep, Everywhere you go, there's always somewhere Jew someone Jewish, and like that's kind of where it ends. And I don't see a whole lot of, um, or at least it's not as elevated. I'm, I'm missing the, the the Jewish leaders of color. I'm missing the the diversity of um, of you know big voices in the Jewish community and in the leadership space that look like me or are of color or are indigenous or um, speak different languages. I mean, I, I just. I, that's, a, that's an area where I want to see a lot of growth and development and um, really celebrating, really, really, I, and I love that you brought that up, Ana Lucia, how important it is for us to feel all united as one Jewish connected world, very interdependent and very, um, there's so much that we share and within the sharing, how can we appreciate and honor each other? And that's, that, that has been lost in the sense that there isn't this, um, this value on the Latinidad, the, the Latinness that we hold, um, or for our Black brothers and sisters to really share and highlight their story, but not in a way of being like, oh, yes, look at this Black Jewish community, and just to, to, as like a way to kind of just show how diverse we are, but to really embrace and elevate, and um, it's beyond inclusivity. It's, it's um, I, I don't know the answer exactly, but I do know that we are in such a powerful place to, to listen and um, to, to see and to really just change the change the way that we've examined um, our leadership and education. Thank you, Kimmy. Thank you. Um, yes, Linda. Um, I've always wanted to see the educational materials, any of the illustrations, particularly when you go to the Bible stories. Why do they look? Why do they look white? I thought they were white, uh, and I, I've I've. It always sounds so silly, but I have this this desire to take a brown pencil and go to those books and 
and color them in and have like a national brown in so that we get actually a, a reality, something that's truer, but that also presents, and it's not just for the kids of color, it's for the white kids to see that this is the reality. This is the Jewish community. This is what we always looked like. Certainly, definitely. And just to kind of close that, close us out on that, um, something that I think is always wanting, one of the things that I'm wanting to interrupt is also um, our community's desire to like link our Jewishness to some form of ancient lineage. Um, and I say that because I think that we need to be doing a better job for our emerging communities, especially within the Latin America, Latin America. Um, that those are emerging communities. I'm referring to communities, large communities who have converted or have um, returned to Judaism. And in the process of doing so are feeling this pressure of relinquishing their identity and the culture that they've been a part of in order for them to um, to be accepted by the larger Jewish community. And what does that mean? That means that a lot of them are being um, converted or are being are being converted by a very strict um, way of thinking and specifically like in, in an orthodox right and seeing as like this is the only way in which you can do that. And then after doing that, um, their desire to part to be within community sometimes is misguided and feels that in order for them to do that, they need to just be replicating what everyone else is doing. And so much of a loss of identity that takes place is something that is, is I see and I see is really hurtful and thinking like, why, do, why are you wanting to completely relinquish who you are in order to fall within this new space? And how are we in that processing elevating white culture instead of allowing you, empowering you to create your own ritual that melds, that really kind of brings in together like ancient Jewish wisdom with, what, with music and, um, and ways in which you want to be that really represent who you are in that particular space. And so I think this is another way in which specifically within their Jewish community and our Jewish Latinx community, like our constant desire to, to only focus on being able to be Jewish and Latino if you're coming from one of these like ancient communities. Um, and rather than like leaving up our space and, and being mindful of folks who are coming from who are from the Latinx community who are finding Judaism and are just as worthy of being in our space and we and how we can better support them in a way that doesn't necessarily mean that in order for them to be a part of our community, they have to be upholding certain forms of white Jewish culture. Um, so the next point I want us to kind of get into specifically or just to explore, and this will be kind of, this will be your last one because we're already hitting that time as I imagined we would. Um, that's specifically thinking about one of the things that I always want folks, especially within the Latinx community, um, and, and for myself as a Latina woman who identifies as a person of color, as someone who comes from mixed ancestry, indigenous ancestry, Afro-Peruvian ancestry, um, I'm constantly, and, and someone who grew up in the United States as an undocumented person, I'm constantly thinking about how, well, just going back to that, that notion that I mentioned earlier around how when it comes to a system of racialization, we've got people at the top, and then we've got folks um, at the bottom and in between who are essentially being pinned against one another to essentially ensure that there is this constant turmoil and the top stays at the top. And Oftentimes, um, especially in this in this revolution that we're experiencing right now, um, I've seen and I've witnessed um, how 
at times it can be confusing for non-black communities of color um, and for and communities who have been who have experienced oppression in the past so i'll bring in just jews as a whole uh, to kind of locate themselves within a within the movement for anti-black racism um, and oftentimes kind of not being able to locate themselves because the first um like a, an initial reaction being like well, I know what oppression looks like, and I know what racism what racism is like because I've also experienced that. I've experienced anti-immigrant sentiment. I've experienced linguicism. I've experienced anti-Semitism. I've experienced these forms of oppression. So, of course, I know what what Black folks are experiencing. And like, yes, we definitely need to fight racism, but we also need to fight this, and we need to fight this. And and all of a sudden, we're seeing um, in this chart of racialization, folks at the um, in the middle, essentially like oppressing like folks at the bottom because folks on, at the bottom of this like racialized system um because we're, we're all kind of in this de desire and this this need to be seen and so for me like the the, the biggest takeaway is that if we're really thinking serious about anti-racist work, we need to immediately stop the oppression comparison. And this is something that needs to be vital. And if we're really talking about being accomplices or ally or whatever term you're wanting to use for yourself in the movement against racism, in the movement against racism and anti-Black racism specifically, like, yes, we can recognize that there's a shared history of experiencing oppression, but we simply cannot deem the same, we, can, we simply cannot deem our experiences as being the same as um, a specific as specific experiences that come from anti-black racism. So especially for people who do benefit for white from um, white and white passing privilege, um, it's so important for us. And I speak from the Jewish Latinx community, but also from a wider like Jewish community, like the need for us to stop comparing past enslavement, discrimination that we experience in the world today as this simply does not compare to what the black community faces on a daily basis, simply by living their life in a black body throughout the world, okay? So our simple ability to have integrated, to prosper, to go on runs, to you know walk through, walk at, to, at night to a convenience store to get a bar of chocolate, our ability to prosper economically, politically, socially, whatever way in which we wanna think about it and in whichever diaspora we've moved to because we really have been able to do that, demonstrates privilege that we have and more than anything demonstrates a lot of our abilities to benefit from white supremacy okay and i think that this is one of the things that can be really tough for people who are in the trenches and are really um wanting are, are desiring to do like the important work the anti-racist work is locating ourselves and knowing when to like step back and do a further analysis about like how we benefit from white supremacy and also really like step back and think about like how oppression is how oppression that we experience is not in any way the same oppression that happens within the within the black community and as a result like how is white supremacy pinning the folks that are oppressed against one another to essentially keep people at the top at the top without having any real consequences because the the fighting is happening within these spaces that should be allies with one another so i say this because i think everyone in this call are people who are interested in doing this work and are people who are interested in seeing the world move like finally move into a, a, a place of like you know we're a thousand we're a couple thousand years late to the game so like as we continue to move forward you know like really be uh focusing our our, our movement like when is it it's when is it important for us to take a, a step back and when is it important for you know for folks who know me people know that i'm um 
what's important to me, like personally as a immigrant activist, um, as someone who is constantly wanting to fight like xenophobia, um, someone who sits in a lot of anti-Semitism committees, sits in a lot of anti-racist committees, not all of those things look the same and not all of those things are, not all of the oppressions are experienced the same. And at times it can be tough, especially if one of those things really kind of shapes the way in which you walk through this world. how that at times needs to be kind of like placed on hold or kind of placed like as not being as urgent as something that we're seeing is so blatantly systemically violent towards one group of people over somebody else. So I'm hoping that this last point um, brings in some reflections from some folks that we haven't heard because I think that this is something that really can kind of send us off into this next space. outside of this webinar to continuously be thinking about the ways in which we can end the oppression comparison cycle. Um, folks, um, I think that some things that I, I really want to resonate um, that I, I felt really deeply with uh, Ana, what Ana Lucia said. We actually had this conversation in another space of um, specific Jews of color where we talked about gatekeeping. And uh, one of my friends, Ariel, uh, really talked about something that really resonated with me where he said, that uh, white supremacists have really done a great job of putting Jews in the position of gatekeepers as, as the folks in power, as the folks who are, are the oppressors. Um, and I think that it's important for us to see exactly echoing the sentiments of Ana Lucia, the systems of oppression are cyclical, that no one thing is, uh, is just affecting one issue that the same, uh, the same folks going after black folks are, and, and the same systems going after black folks are the same systems that uh, want to tear down Jewish folks, that want to put kids in, ch- in, in, in cages, that want to continue the divide. Like it's that same uh, white supremacist sentiment that really is this, the overall um, system that oppresses all of us and everything is, uh, is cyclical. Uh, and it's important for us to really understand that uh, if we're if we're going to be committed to to fighting back against these systems, we must understand that they're all interconnected. Without just saying, "Well, I'm only going to fight for this," um, or "What about this?" When without understanding that everything is truly affected. Um, and I've been seeing that in the Latino community, as I see folks who are saying, "Well, well, nobody said anything about the children in cages. Nobody did marches." which in reality we did, <laughs> you know, but folks went, didn't participate in those are, are still not participating in, in the liberation of black folks. So I, I truly see that Torah also really teaches us the complexity of understanding such, div, uh, such um, diversity in issues and in w- what's happening in our society and, and the ability to understand that we're also human and that we're adapting to to our new society. And I, I see the example in Jonah and, and truly seeing that I, I feel myself as, as Jonah and, and how I've ran away from addressing my own problems. I've ran away from addressing my own implicit biases. I've ran away from addressing who I want to be. And then I've, I've just as Jonah did inside the fish, really understood myself and understood my journey and 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 i am understanding and i am becoming and i think that i'm, I'm shifting more into a, a moses leadership 
where where I see like at, at some points I really didn't want to be this leadership, but now I see where it's it's so important and, and it's so vital for us to continue the work and have these tough conversations. But I, I really want to emphasize the fact that having these tough conversations shouldn't be an episode to really shut people down. That we should come from a place of love and education and not from a place of, of, of immediate attack and hate. A place from where we can grow together and, and really revolutionize the way that we think. Um, so these conversations that we were having today with uh, with Ana Lucia are those conversations that at some point we feel uncomfortable. We feel icky. We're like, uh, well, I did say something at this, at this point. Or, or oh, man, I was in a situation where, you know, uh, like uh, Linda said, like, uh, what her, her family member said about MLK and how icky that made her feel. These are the conversations that we have because we know in, internally that we are not hateful. We know internally that it comes, our, our, even our, Jew, our Judaism talks about how Jews always must speak truth to power. And this shows us how we are speaking that truth to power. So um, thank you, everybody. Uh, please share, continue to share. Uh, I want to hear more, more voices. I just love, I just want to add that I love that you just brought Torah in. Um, just made my heart explode. I could see Kimmy also with the Jewish educator that she was. Yes, like, I was like Yona, and, and now I'm thinking about how the ways that I'm I'm like Yona. Just so there's so much so much beauty and so much mirroring in our text and how that can be of benefit to us as we go into this work, as we examine ourselves. And you're right, it is icky and it's uncomfortable and it's hard, but that's why we have Torah and community to help guide us along the way. And just a little bit to what you said, you know, it's, um, it's, yeah, we, you know, we do have a long way to go and we're not going to get there by shaming, blaming, or judging. We're going to get there by holding space, by creating the opportunities to really listen and examine, to support, and instead of being quick to say, hey, let me, let me share this with you and let me open your eyes because coming from that place of compassion is so critical because a lot of, a lot of us, myself included, um, I've been so unaware, so unaware of the things that I've been thinking, believing, and doing. And I feel very lucky that I've been in uh, conversations where I've been able to learn from a place of softness rather than judgment. And I know that if someone's yelling at me saying, I can't believe you said that or thought that, I'm not going to be motivated to learn or understand or act differently. And so that's the kind of mindset that I believe this needs to be at the forefront of this work in any space that we're in, whether we're looking at immigration issues, we're, we're, we're advocating and being activists for people of color, for black indigenous people. It's, it's so important to come from that space with ourselves to have self-compassion as we go through this process and especially with others.